Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to our Policy Pulse. School Choice has answers to questions posed by COVID. Here's what you need to know. Please welcome our host, Jonathan Butcher, Heritage's Will Skillman Fellow in Education. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you on National School Choice Week 2022, and I'm so pleased to introduce our guest this afternoon, Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. Senator, thank you so much for being here with us, and we appreciate the chance to talk to you during this celebration of school choice around the country. One of the things that I've noticed over the past several months is that there have been reports of more Ds and Fs in districts like San Diego, even here in the upstate of South Carolina, in large districts like Chicago and LA. And something that you mention on your uh, bio and your biography is that you struggled your freshman year in high school. And so you can probably relate to what some of the families are going through around the country. Thanks to your mom, who you named specifically, and sticking with it, you finished college and, and started your own business and are now in the US Senate. So that's the happy ending. So uh, what yes. have you seen in recent weeks as you've watched school officials around the country respond again to the onset of the pandemic and widespread positive tests? Well, Jonathan, thank you for having me here today. It's always good to be with Heritage. I'll tell you, thank God for a mother who believed more in me than I did the tragic uh, circumstance that I had to survive through. And thank God for a good mom and a, a great mentor. But the truth is what we're experiencing today is very different than what I experienced. What I experienced was a failure on my part. What, I, what we're seeing today is a failure on our institutions part. So our kids are suffering not because of their poor performance in a silo. They're suffering because of the amount of learning loss over two consecutive school years when they're in school and out of school, in school and out of school uh, in the month of January because of the pandemic and really is because of the pandemic and mismanagement. So the truth of the matter is that when you watch in Chicago, the teachers unions keep 600,000 kids out of school and you see the mayor, very progressive mayor, fighting with the teachers unions and the teachers unions response is to call her uh, stupid. That kind of uh, low level, low common denominator debating and bickering tells me that the impact on our education and the institutions that provide it is really severe. But more importantly, the civility that is being lost among adults who say that they're looking out for the best interests of kids, it's undeniable. And that is as concerning to me as the failures that we're seeing within the system is the failure of the system, not simply those kids that are making Ds and, or Cs. We should focus our attention like a laser and make sure that we raise uh, the, those kids' performance, performances. But in order for us to do that, we have to address a, a, a larger looming issue that the system today is failing too many of our kids who cannot afford for another institution to fail them. Well, you answered my next question, which was going to be this issue of large districts around the U.S. either pausing 
in-person learning or closing it for a period of time and then going back. I mean, you mentioned Chicago. That was one of the most high-profile cases. But you've got Cincinnati yes. paused for a while, Milwaukee, other places around the U.S. Um, so what, uh, what do we have to say during National School Choice Week to those parents in those districts, in those areas where the schools have this sort of on-again, off-again uh, process of getting children back into, into classrooms? Jonathan, so many parents around this country, millions of parents around this country are frustrated and at their wits end as they watch school after school after school deny them access to what is the best and brightest opportunity for their kids, a good education. And uh, the bigger the city, it seems like the bigger the problems with keeping schools open. But we can contrast that against systems that are actually working on behalf of kids. We saw during the pandemic, the enrollment at Catholic schools go up substantially. We've seen more kids drop out of public schools in the last two years than we have at any other time in recent history in our country. We've seen schools like the one I'm sitting here in Charleston, South Carolina, Meeting Street Academy, find ways to be nimble, working with the parents to be open. We need that kind of innovation and creativity in our largest cities. And you would think that with the level of resourcing going into those schools, that those would be the first schools to be open. And yet we see that too often those are the first schools to close. Why is that the case? It's the case in part because of the fact that some schools and systems seem to be designed for adults and not for kids. We need a child-centric education system that produces global competitive results for our kids, or globally competitive results for our kids. And I think that's a great segue to my next question, because I was going to ask you, let's, let's talk about some good news. Let's give parents some ideas about what, what have you seen around the U.S. first, but then here in South Carolina, which is where I am as well in the, in the upstate right now, and I've watched charter schools as well as private schools, like you mentioned, keep their doors open uh, even during these you know, changing pandemic times. So what have you seen nationally as you've had the chance to look around the country? And then what have you seen here in your home state uh, that schools yeah. have done uh, that, that should be hopeful, give, give parents some hope for the future? Well, let me start with local because I think everything starts at home. And, and I'm thankful to be a proud resident of the Palmetto State where we're seeing education innovation at its best here at Meeting Street Academy. And Meeting Street Academy is not simply a private school. There's one in, in, in Spartanburg, but it also within this apparatus has public schools as well. So what we're seeing uh, year in and year out is an improvement for the sometimes the poorest kids in communities are now scoring at the top of the food chain with kids around the country. So that's great news. More importantly, during the pandemic, what we've seen are charter schools and private schools finding ways to be innovative and creative to keep their doors open, their kids in the classrooms. That's really important because as a kid who grew up in poverty myself, the school system can afford you things that you can't get other places. Like sometimes schools provide, Title I schools provide three meals a day. Sometimes it provides nurses in schools so that you're basic healthcare needs can be met. So when all that goes away, you see dysfunction uh, grow in communities. You also have seen, as a result of being closed, a 31% increase in the number of ER visits for mental health issues for K through 12 age kids. So the opposite is true, that when you see schools staying open, charter schools, private schools, K 
Catholic schools, what you see is a precipitous drop in that type of visit to the ERs. Why? Well, it's kind of common sense, to be honest with you. Uh, kids need company. They need to be around their kids, around their friends. They need to be around their teachers. They need to have a socialization as a core component for their flourishing. And so uh, we've seen really positive things in South Carolina, as examples, would it be Arizona. Governor Ducey took a leap in the right direction when he, when he proposed that if your school is closed for three or four days, we're going to allow you to take your resources with you. Almost the concept that we used to talk about, a backpack for the kids. You take the money with the kid. Uh, he has proposed that, and I think that's a smart piece of legislation and a smart approach to making sure that parents have more options to keep their kids in school when their schools close. In Arizona, Governor Ducey wants to make sure those kids have multiple options to not only pay for the tuition, but the transportation associated with that. I think that's a wonderful approach to innovation and creativity to make sure that kids get a better education. Well, and I think that you raise a great point because during National School Choice Week, we used to talk about school choice as an answer for the students who are struggling with their grades, right? Like we started this conversation about, right? Students who are struggling with Ds and Fs and the, uh, the poor performance that we've seen brought on by extended virtual learning during the pandemic. But there are more reasons today, right? Parents are very concerned, like you said, about mental health and their children. Absolutely. They're concerned about what's being taught in the classroom. So even more so today, I think school choice matters because it's reflecting or a way that we can have parents reflect their values in their local community school systems. And if it doesn't, they can find somewhere else somewhere else to go. So you have um, some big ideas for uh, uh, for the country. You have um, uh, a big thought about how the, the Title I program in particular um, can be used to help families now who are in schools that are closed due to uh, pandemic-related concerns and and uh, and other reasons. So can you tell us a little bit about that and, and, and what, what are your plans for the for the future around this idea? Well, we propose um, taking the idea from Arizona and making it a national model for us to follow to allow for those kids attending Title I schools to basically backpack the federal portion of the dollars that we use for schools so that a child in Arizona or a child in South Carolina whose uh, school closes for uh, three or four days, uh, for, they can take that money and go to the school of their, of their choice, whether it's a charter school, public school, private school, uh, to use it for resources for homeschooling or for virtual school. I want to make sure that we give the parents as many arrows in the quiver to meet the needs and hit the target for their kids. When that happens, we give parents more of a choice. The kids have a better chance, not only at succeeding in education, but succeeding in life. That is a powerful weapon in the arsenal that we will be proposing. I hope that it gets traction and it becomes law because that will change the face of our nation permanently. I'll, I'll end with this on this topic. When you think about the fact that 73% of African-American parents today support school choice. It's never been that high in all of America's history. Hispanic parents, 76%. Working parents, 80%. The time has come for us to introduce competition in the public forum. I believe that will improve our public schools 
It will keep more schools open, but ultimately it will achieve its goal. And the goal is to simply educate America's future leaders today in a classroom. Well, and I think you're exactly right. I mean, I lived in Arizona for a time when education savings accounts were a new idea and it had just been brought before lawmakers and then became a program now that serves just under 10,000 children in Arizona. I think there are some 20,000 children, 23 at last count, I think in Florida, using these education savings accounts. And that's been a shift as well with uh, National School Choice Week because it's not just about schools. Now we're talking about a variety of options. Is that what you have in mind with yep. your proposal? You're talking about not just the four walls of a classroom, but the other things that, that parents can, can find for their children. Absolutely, it's, it's good news. And we were, I was just having a conversation with parents a few minutes ago, and one of the things that came up in the topic was ESAs, Education Savings Account. It's as close to common sense as wet is to water. I mean, so literally, they're un, un, inseparable. So I hope that we see more states head in that direction. We will continue to work. I'm a co-sponsor of legislation that would provide up to $10 billion for businesses who want to then invest in local schools for more choice. There are a lot of proposals that we're part of, but absolutely, I hope ESAs and the approach that we're taking becomes normal throughout this nation. That type of normalcy is actually extraordinary. I'd love to see it happen, and I hope that it will. And we've seen huge changes just in recent years. West Virginia last year enacted a proposal that is available to some 90 plus percent of the students in the state. It's uh, one of the broadest programs that's been enacted in the U.S. so far. Uh, so I think lawmakers are also thinking big. They're thinking big at the state level as well. You're going to be talking to other families and other schools during National School Choice Week. What are some of the other messages you want them to know or you want them to hear um, about both your proposal and this need for flexibility, even beyond choosing a school, being able perhaps even to customize a child's education? Well, the first thing I'd say, Jonathan, is to be optimistic about the future. What, uh, the, today's challenges make us more pessimistic than I've seen in a long time. I think uh, there's strength and hope and Hope is a key component for us to be willing to engage or lean in in our kids' education. Sometimes we feel like a, a fish out of water when it comes to what our kids are learning in the classroom or what they're, whether they're going to schools or not, and whether we have the power and the resources necessary to be involved actively in our kids' education. The answer is 1,000% you do. So be hopeful and optimistic about what's possible. The second thing I'd say is we have to be engaged. If we're going to make a difference, and we will, we can make that difference by being engaged. Engaged. Uh, do not take no for an answer the first time you hear it. I, I spent uh, several years in sales owning a couple of insurance agencies. And the one thing I learned was that no was a request for more information. So when you hear your principal, your teacher, or the schools say, no, we can't provide you with that information. No, you can't come to the classroom. Just assume that they didn't get the message. So you need to provide them with more information. And by doing so, uh, you'll have more opportunity to make a difference. So we have to engage and lean in. And the third thing I'd say is to talk to your, your school boards, your local legislators, and your Congress members, because there are a lot of proposals on the table. You mentioned West Virginia. There's a major ballot initiative in California, of all places, to figure out a school choice path. Uh, we need to lean into every legislative path to making school choice a reality. And as many states around this country as possible. Giving these 50 
uh, laboratories of democracy, as much fuel for the fire as possible to make the most amazing decisions on behalf of the kids so that those kids, when they grow up, have a chance to make even a more remarkable difference in this nation and the world. All of that simply starts with school choice. Thank you, Senator. We have time for just a few more questions. I won't keep you much longer. I wanted to ask, because you brought up school board members, uh, there was a, a, an article in a paper in Pennsylvania recently where a school board member told parents, he wrote a, an opinion piece that said, I don't work for you. Uh, what is your answer to school board members who say that they don't work for parents or, you know, what we've seen recently from the National School Board Association where they urge the Biden administration to treat parents as though they were domestic terrorists and call on the full force of the Patriot Act and, and all of those things? Uh, what 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 do you have to say for uh, parents first, I guess, as, as they need to figure out what to do when they find school board members are unresponsive to them? Well, let, let me just first speak to the school board, board members who think they don't work for parents. You're fired. It's that simple. And the parents should make sure that they deliver that message at the ballot box as soon as conceivably possible. I would say that recalled elections for school board members should become more and more in vogue if necessary. We need people who are responsive and attentive to the needs of parents. I can't imagine my mother who works 16 hours a day as a nurse's aide changing bedpans and enrolling patients without any access to the internet. Today's broadband was not a, a possibility in, in places where I lived, which is still true for too many places around the country. How, how are they gonna keep their kid learning and at work? It's not possible. So to have board members who are so arrogant to suggest that they don't work for the parents, they just need to be fired. To parents, I would say that we have to exercise our constitutional rights by asking the right questions and knowing what questions to ask. There are a number of new organizations that are parent-centric organizations that will empower these parents to know exactly what questions to ask, how to follow up on those questions, and how to hold their board members and, frankly, the administrators accountable in their schools. That is an absolute necessity around our country. And if you need more information, we can help you find it. Thank you, Senator. It was a pleasure to have you with us uh, for National School Choice Week 2022. Uh, I'm so glad that you could join us. Thank you for this policy pulse. We wish you luck this week as you're traveling, and uh, we thank you so much for your leadership and look forward to talking to you next time. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for everything that Heritage does on so many topics, but none more important today than any other topic, the topic of educating our kids and keeping the parents involved. If we succeed at lighting the fire across the country around parent involvement in education, our nation will rise to a higher level. And so the work that you all are doing is critically important on behalf of parents who need more information, who need a pat on the back, and frankly, who need the momentum to be on their side. Thank you all, Jonathan, for being a part of that momentum. Thank you. That's a great message for parents all over the country. Thank you, Senator, and we'll talk to you soon. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye.